0: We're going to do this in two ways. We're going, to, we're, going to, uh, we're going to step into darkness. So we're going to look at some things that are very dark about this passage. And then we'll, we'll look at where the light shines out of darkness. Okay, so the first part of this sermon is looking, let's step into the darkness. Let's look at the darkness that is here. I'm going to give you three aspects of darkness, three things, three things that are dark that we see in this passage, and then I'll, I'll conclude by giving us three ways in which light shines out of darkness. Okay? So that's how we'll structure things. Let's look at three aspects of darkness. The first is the rejection of God. The rejection of God. God is rejected in this passage, and it is one of the reasons why this passage is so dark. Now let's just talk about what's going on. Uh, Gabe showed us that they they were praying, the disciples were praying, Judas betrayed him. Uh, They went to a place, Jesus took them to a place where he always went with Judas, so he was stepping forward into this trial, he wasn't hiding, wasn't running away from it. The band of soldiers came, Roman soldiers came with the, the Jews, Jewish leaders, to arrest Jesus. They're in the garden. They found him there. You can listen to last week's sermon on the Brandywine Grace podcast. It was late at night when they arrested Jesus, and that band of soldiers took Jesus, likely to the home of Annas. Now, let let me just explain real quickly, because this could be confusing. If you're reading your Bible closely, Annas is actually not the high priest. It says right here, first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. So you might ask, why didn't they just take Jesus right to the high priest? Why did they take him to Annas? Well, Annas was the high priest. He was appointed by the Jews to be high priest, and it is a role that you keep until you die. But when the Romans came in, they said, no, we don't like Annas. So... They made his son-in-law, Caiaphas, high priest. But the Jews revered Annas as the real high priest, even though Caiaphas was the puppet high priest, the paper high priest. Get it? Now remember, this is taking place at the... There's so much. Here's the challenge that I have. There's so much that's in this passage. And I, I... I feel my limitations. I feel like, I almost, like, when I touch this, I feel like I profane it. Like, I can't show you what's so so incredible about this passage. I'm going to do my best, but I feel like I can't do it. So may the power of Christ rest upon me and my weakness. He goes, they take him to Annas where he is questioned by Annas. Annas gets what he wants, his first crack at Jesus. And God is not only rejected, but in his rejection, there is a total betrayal of justice. You might get the sense that this trial of Jesus is moving quickly. They arrest him at night. It's now It's now. Friday morning. Wee hours of the morning, and it's the Passover. So, if they're gonna get this done, they've gotta get Jesus crucified in time to get him off the cross by the time they celebrate the Sabbath, the Passover. Can't have somebody hanging on a cross then. So, they're going to move as quickly as they can to get Jesus crucified. Now, the Jewish leaders always had it in mind to crucify Jesus, they were planning this, they were plotting this. But something happened that made them realize, oh my goodness, our ship has come in. We can get this done. Judas betrayed him. And they realized if we move quickly, we can get this guy crucified and get him off the cross by the Sabbath. So if you get the sense that this is shady, that this is dark, that this is a betrayal of justice, then you're reading your Bible rightly. They're trying to move quickly. Now, what Annas represents is Judaism. He represents the Jewish religion. And their faith reaches all the way back to their forefather and one of their heroes, Abraham. The Jews are God's covenant people. They have experienced some incredible blessings from God throughout history. We could review many of them. Let's start with their their being released out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea. Miracle. Scriptures tell us that story over and over. They've had great leaders. Moses, Samuel, David. They've had incredible prophetic voices address them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Ezekiel. Supreme gift of covenant relationship with God, his written word, which contained the promise of a Messiah, of a Savior. All of that tradition is represented in the high priest, Annas, Caiaphas, who is standing in the presence of Messiah, the Son of God, the one. That the all of the Old Testament scriptures point to. And Annas using all kinds of tricks is working hard to quickly and without justice betray the Messiah to his death. Annas should fall the way those soldiers fell when Jesus said, I am. Remember when Gabe was talking about that last week? He should hit the deck. Instead, he's using every trick in the book. They are moving quickly. Jewish law says that you must have witnesses. You have to have witnesses in order to corroborate the charges against the person. You don't actually begin with the questioning of the person. You actually begin with witnesses. And if witnesses will corroborate the testimony, it doesn't matter what the person says in their defense. But do you see what's happening here? Annas is questioning Jesus without any witnesses. And so what does Jesus ask for? Witnesses. Jesus calls him on it. You can't. There's another thing that's happening here. You can't do the trial in the middle of the night the trial can't happen place in, at, can't take place at night it's supposed to take place during the day when the court meets and the people the court meets and the people are working this is a total sham of justice and jesus calls him on it says hey bring the witnesses bring witnesses who will testify to what i said in the open i've said it in the open i haven't said anything in secret but annas is going to reject God. The people have rejected their God. Now, I think there's a way in which we can sometimes read our Bibles and say, Annas. Caiaphas in a few hours. How could you do that? How could you reject God? The world that John speaks of, that God so loved, always rejects God. The world systems always reject God. You and I, apart from the light of his grace shining into our dark hearts, reject God. This world is upside down. Religions reject God. Systems and ways of thinking and philosophies of men reject God. People with power reject God. All of us in our rebellion have rejected Him. This world, 2020, 385,000 deaths or more from COVID in the U.S., 2020. Each of those was a person, just like you. But do you know in that same year, over 900,000 abortions took place in the U.S.? Ain't nobody talking about it. This is a messed up world. It's upside down. Why? Because we've rejected God. Because we've rejected our creator. Because we've rejected the Savior. But here's the point you have to see that you were one of the ones that would have rejected him too. If you don't see that, then you don't get in on the light that he's bringing. Shai hip-hop artist, Christian hip-hop artist, said it this way. The way they treat the Lord of glory is debased and it's foul, but you miss the point if you don't see your face in the crowd. I've been a pastor for over 20 years now. And I've seen people reject God. And you think I might mean people out there. I'm talking about people right in here. And no one has had more of a front row seat to my rejections of God than me. It's not Caiaphas I'm worried about. It's not Annas I'm worried about. It's Kenny that I'm worried about. And it's all of you that I'm worried about. Feels dark and sad, doesn't it? Let's move to the second, the denial of God. So we see God is rejected. Now let's look at God denied. And this probably is the most troubling for me. Lord, have mercy. I need to move through this material and just give you a taste and a flavor of what's happening here. But what we're talking about is the denial of Peter, the denial of Jesus by Peter. And it, guys, it is so troubling three times john john's gospel is like no other gospel it's not like matthew and mark and luke which they referred to as the synoptics john gives us all these other details now john was actually a disciple of jesus christ matthew was actually a disciple of jesus christ luke was a follower of christ but not one of the not one of the 12 okay matthew was john was Luke gives us a very—he tells us—very researched account. He was a researcher. He studied it. He researched everything that was said about Jesus, and he put together an orderly account for Theophilus to read. And it, and it was attempting to prove that Jesus, who was who, he says. He is. Mark was not one of the 12. Mark was actually a really good friend of Peter's, and he was writing Peter's gospel. Peter could have written a gospel. He didn't. He wrote some letters, but he didn't write a gospel account. John, let's check this out. John gives us details. John, who was probably closer to Jesus than the others. We know that he was in his inner circle. He was the one that Jesus loved. So he's, he's in this inner circle. He has some details that the others don't have. And one of the things he details, and I don't understand this, but he says three times in this passage that the soldiers and Peter are standing outside warming themselves. Why? Jerusalem gets cold in the spring at night because it's a half mile above sea level. So there's a fire for for them to keep warm. And we're told that Peter is standing and warming himself. He's preserving his comforts. He's taking care of himself. But Jesus, the Messiah, is being unjustly treated outside, standing in the cold, bound and getting slapped around. And Peter's denial begins. Now, I'm not, I, here's a question that I had um, that I think you should wrestle with. Maybe it's, it's like one of those little details, but Peter can't get into the courtyard. He's not allowed. So he's standing outside, warming himself. He wants to get into the courtyard, so it appears. So somebody gets him in, unnamed disciple, probably John. He always unnames himself. says he was a friend of the high priest, or at least knew the high priest. How does that happen? Well, here's a legend. legend has it that, that uh, they, were, they were fishermen that had a successful business, probably had a home office in Jerusalem, and probably supplied the high priest and his family and friends with fish. So John knows the high priest, one of the disciples knows the high priest, and gets Peter in. As soon as Peter walks in, 12-year-old girl Ask him a question, and it's it's a, not an it's not a fair question because she asks him, you're also not one of the man's disciples, are you? It's a hard one. There's only one way that she's expecting him to answer. You're not that person, right? What do you say then? Well, yeah, I, I actually am. No. That question led him right to no, no, not me. I don't want to get treated the way you're treating him. So he denies Jesus once. And then he denies him again. He gets in, but he's really vulnerable now. He gets into the courtyard. Well, what happens? Someone who is a relative of the dude whose ear he cuts off sees him. Him, I, I, he's, one of, he's one of them. And in other scriptures, we're told not only did he deny, but he called curses down upon himself. Damn it, I don't know the man. Then the rooster crows. Oh, guys. As Jesus is outside testifying faithfully, Peter is inside denying pathetically. Listen to this quote. I love this. John has constructed a dramatic contrast here wherein Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. Why? Peter is the... this church, Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise again and he's going to begin the church. Do you know who's the leader of the New Testament church? Do you know who's going to lead this Christian community? Peter, what? I mean, if it's me, okay, I already warned you. You know what I mean? This is going to John, the unnamed one. Peter's witnessed miracles. He's seen the glory of Christ in the transfiguration. He saw 5,000 people fed. He saw the lame leap. He saw the blind see. He saw the paralyzed carry their mats home. He saw even the dead raised. He heard Jesus teach, and Jesus' teachings warned him specifically. Like, like, if I, I'd like to think that if I was there and Jesus said, "You're going to deny me three times," I'd like to think, "Okay, I'm going. I'm on the lookout for that." <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm watching out for that one. This is a guy who loved Jesus. And if Jesus could be this, if Peter could be this close to Jesus and know this much about Jesus and receive so much from Jesus, so much love, so much teaching, witness Jesus' power like few people ever have seen on the face of the earth. If he can deny Jesus, then so can I. So can you. That's why this is dark. It's dark because it ain't just about a story about Peter. It's a story about me. It's a story about you. In the moment when Jesus needed him most, Peter turned his back on the Savior. We've been there. We've been there. Peter, how could you? Kenny, how could you? How could you? This is the terrible denial of Jesus. Let's move to the apparent weakness of God. So there's three things that we're stepping in the darkness. We're seeing the rejection of God. We're seeing the denial of God. And we're seeing, I say, the apparent weakness of God. I wanted to say the weakness of God because the weakness of God is displayed here. But how can God be weak? If I said the weakness of God, some of you sort of said, "Mm mm-mm. So I say the apparent weakness of God, but the apparent weakness of God is extremely troubling in this text. The darkness of our failure, of Annas' failure and our our rejection, the darkness of Peter's denial and our denial, that is troubling. And those failures are extremely troubling. But what's more troubling is God's seeming failure. Here's God's son, the word made flesh, a helpless pawn in the hands of his enemies. Men, bending justice. He's the I am. He revealed himself in the garden. At Calvary, we encounter not just the triumph of God, but what Paul referred to as the weakness of God. And you and I can identify with that weakness. Have you ever thought God weak? I bet you have. You might not have said it at community group. The God who apparently was not there when we needed him. Prayers that go unanswered. Disappointments that have crushed our dreams. Tragedies, troubles, death, problems that prayer and even praise seem unable to remove and alleviate. You know what I'm talking about, church? Look at the world. There's atrocity all around us. God, where are you? People are starving. People are suffering abuse. There's disease. God, do you really own this globe? It doesn't seem like you're up to the demands of ruling this world, does it? Annas, how could you? Peter, how could you? God, how could you? That's the darkness. You need some hope? You used to say, yes, can you give us some hope? <laughs> we need a treasure in, an un, in, a, in, a, in a curious place. We need a treasure in a dark place. We need to find some light in a dark place, and it's here. I want to give it to you. I just read a story uh, a couple of weeks ago about a woman who's a real Goodwill shopper. She goes to Goodwill and shops on a regular. And, and in this case, she was at Goodwill and she, she's an artist. She saw like this, uh, uh, it was like a, a, a statue, kind of a, like a bust, like a, a statue of a person's head, a sculpture of someone's head. And she bought it for $34.99. And she took it home. And she later, I think we got a picture of it. He's strapped into the car. There he is. He's strapped into the car seat on his way home. She nicknamed him Dennis on the way home. Later, she discovered that this thing was 2,000 years old. She had some art friends say, "Hey, have you ever done an appraisal on that thing?" She had the appraisal done and discovered that this is actually a Roman artifact about 2,000 years old and worth lots of money. Goodwill is a curious place to find incredible treasure. This section of Scripture is a curious place to find hidden treasure. But there's lights that are shining in the darkness. Let's look at them. The first is the presence of God. The presence of God. Caiaphas makes a statement. He's, it's referred to in verse 14. It was Caiaphas, that was chapter 11, who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. He said that it would be expedient. Now, Caiaphas is not noted for his nobility here. He is noted for his cynical expediency. He's not doing this because it's the right thing to do, but he is fulfilling prophecy, isn't he? It would be right. Doesn't the Bible say it would be right for one man to die for for his people? Yes, it does. Caiaphas knew better than he thought. He knew better than he spoke. God is using this situation for his purpose. Jesus was handed over to accomplish God's purpose in salvation, and he's no stranger to darkness. Let me just read this. To you, This hit me this week. Psalm 139. And we're moving here. We'll get the band to come up. Psalm 139, verses 11 through 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Ironically, The person who stands before the flawed high priest, Annas or Caiaphas, is the true high priest of God. Isn't that ironic? That the one who stands before him shackled and getting slapped around is God's high priest. And his high priest, we're told in the book of Hebrews, because he is a good and faithful high priest, he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, tempted in every way, able to help us in our time of need because he experienced that dark hour so that he could be with you in yours. Nothing, we sang it or someone said it in this service, nothing will separate you from him. Not death, not life, height, depth, width, distance, time. Nothing will separate you from Jesus, from his presence. Give praise to God. Jesus passed through his darkest, most anguishing hours so that he could be with you in yours. That's the presence of God. That's one ray of light. I got two more. All right, I'll move somewhat quickly. The plans of God. What's revealed here? This this reveals the plans of God. The presence of God is revealed. The plans of God are revealed. Peter's denial seems like a total disaster. I mean, Judas betrayed Jesus and look what happens. I mean, Peter's denial is terrible, guys. It's terrible. And the scripture tells us in other sections, we can go to the other gospel accounts, it tells us that when he denied Jesus a third time, so he's in the presence of everyone, that rooster crows, and the scripture tells us that Peter went out from them weeping bitterly. If anybody thought it's... This is, this is it. I have failed my way out of God's goodness and grace. It had to be Peter. His whole life has collapsed around him. His hope is gone. The lights have all gone out for Peter. Luke twenty-two thirty-one 31 says this, though. Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter. Satan is asked to have you. He's asked to sift you like wheat. And then he said, but I have prayed for you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Even this disastrous failure was not outside of God's redemptive plans for Peter. You should clap for that. Because what that means is, at your worst, if you're in Christ, at your worst, this disastrous failure is not outside of God's redemptive power at work in you. He's not abandoned. Now, what was Peter prior to this moment? Peter was the self confident disciple. The, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to the cross. Jesus says, you ain't, Peter says, you ain't going to the cross over my dead body. Peter says, get, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Just recently in the garden, I'm going with you, I'm going down. And Peter makes good on it. You gotta give it to him. At least he cut somebody's ear off. Bad aim, <laughs> bad aim, but he was trying. But this is the problem. Peter is always self confidence. He's always self-confident. He's always, pr- he's, always, he's always drawing from his own strength. But in his denial, he gets brought as low as he possibly can get brought. He gets face-to-face with himself. He gets face-to-face with who he really is, his inner evil, his moral helplessness. And in that discovery, Peter finds hope. The cross that brings Peter to an end of himself is the cross that raises him up to God. Aren't you glad? You need to be brought to the end of yourself. Because when you get to the end of yourself, it will be a dark moment. But when you get there, you are in a position to be raised up into the light of Christ. In that moment, Simon, the inadequate man of sand, becomes Peter. The rock. Who has strong now because he's learned not to depend upon himself but to depend utterly upon Jesus. Our failures need not be final, church. Our failures are not going to get the final say over us. Jesus will. You should have clapped for that. (laughs) And let me end with this. The supreme star that's shining in the darkness of that night is Jesus himself. He stands in the darkness alone. He absorbs the terror in his own heart, but he remains standing. It doesn't engulf him. He says to them, if I spoke the truth, then why do you strike me? Jesus always speaks the truth. He is, as the, as the writer of Revelation, who is John, incidentally, he's, he is referred to as the faithful witness. He always speaks the truth. He's always faithful. He embodies the truth of God in the midst of the shadows of darkness that are all around him. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know any darkness? Maybe darkness is around you right now. Maybe it takes the form of dreams unfulfilled. Maybe sorrows have struck you, the passing of a loved one, your prayers have been unanswered for a long time. you got these weaknesses. And they just linger and linger and linger. The Lord wants to remind you that in the person of Christ, the light of God's truth will shine in the darkness until one day it breaks forth into glorious flame and all the shadows will be gone forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the ray of light that pierces the darkness. You have a hope, Christian. You have a hope that'll get you beyond the shadow lands of this, of this earth, that'll get you beyond the, the, the darkness that seems to surround you. You have a hope. You're clinging to Christ because of his forgiveness. You don't have to live with shame anymore. You don't have to live with guilt anymore. There's no more condemnation because by his blood, you've been made free and you will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. (laughs) There's no height. There's no depth. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I could say so much more, but stand and give glory to Christ.